Welcome back to Super Bowl 58 Radio Row in Las Vegas with Mile High Sports. My name is Sean Drotar. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're a Broncos fan or a Chiefs fan for that matter, Chiefs Hall of Famer, but but remember with the Broncos as two-time Super Bowl champion, Neil Smith joins the program. Neil, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Obviously, Super Bowl week uh, brings back a lot of memories, and this ends up being a pretty exciting time. But sure. Uh, when you look at the way that the game continues to evolve, you were part of the, the 90s All-Decade team, uh, led the league in sacks uh, one year as well. When you look at pass rushers and the way that the defenses are changing, where that lines up, it's not necessarily defensive. We move guys around. In fact, now the, the lines between the positions even get blurry. Mm -hmm. How do you look at the, the way the pass rusher has evolved, and would you have liked to play in this time frame? Wow, I put myself into that involvement Every time I see a game, you know, it's like you, you, you was like, man, what what I would have done on this here play? And what's so involved with it is like, you know, the game went from under the center to quarterbacks in shotgun formation, never getting under center. I'm um, seeing the whole field, having the opportunity to, you know, to to throw the ball for one yard passes. And, right. And it's like, you know, you got to pick plays on, on a one yard pass where, you know, it, it's the game has really changed a lot. And, you know, taking, you know, the physicalness out of it more or less. And actually having an opportunity to, you know, to, to spread the ball around with these offenses, these uh, this run and shoot type of, I, I would say like the old Houston all run and shoot. Right. You know, because it's, it's really involved with a little mix with, with run and, and screens and draws. So, you know, it's a lot of things still is it, impact, but a lot of things have changed, too, because the skill position become important. Yeah, I was talking actually with Hall of Famer Kellen Winslow earlier today. And, of course, he was part of that Air Coriel offense uh, that sent him to the Hall of Fame. And, and uh we kind of looked at it and realized that's actually still that the DNA of that offense mm -hmm. is kind of now decades later, kind of what most NFL teams do. They want to spread you out quick. Like you said, these short passes, uh, even in the, in the ASU playoff game between the, the chiefs and the bills, so many of the completions for Josh Allen were within five yards of the line yeah. of scrimmage. When you look at that and you see the way, how does that work now in a way that if you were going to defend it, uh, is there something you would do about it? Or is the idea that you continue to just, speed rush and hope that you disrupt the guy. That's a key point that you brought up. As a defensive end, if I'm looking at it, if one of the things that I have to say is this here. The game has gotten away from defensively, the guy just want to make the sack. You know what I had more problem? I had more proud of not just the hundred and some sacks that I had. It's knocking the football and getting off the field on third down. Now they're throwing the ball every down. You can't get there every down. There's no way you can rush the passer every single down and, and, and get there. So that's, that's, that's windows now, what they call windows, when the quarterback can step up and look into a window and the clear got a shot to throwing balls. Yes, some of the guys, you know, like Mahomes or somebody, you know, got different side releases with the arm and, and they can throw the ball in different motion. But you know what? How often can you really make that play when somebody's standing in front of you and nobody tipping the balls down? So I'm telling you, I, I've never seen guys, you know, knock balls down. Now, Chris Jones does a great job, but if you get to the point where he feel like he's getting double teamed, He's going to stand in the way of the quarterback and stand there and look at his eyes and see, okay, when he throws his arm up, I'm jumping and knock a lot of balls down. That's how you get off the field. That's a, that's a key point where if you can get off the field on third downs, you know, um, defensively, you have an opportunity to win the game. That's what I'm glad you brought that up because obviously we do, you do look at sacks. Sacks get guys paid and it's important. Obviously, it really it makes it more likely the team's going to be getting off the field. At the same time, the point you're bringing up I think is really important because – 
even though you're looking for turnovers, you're looking for sacks, it's actually pressures. Pressures are the things that often create the turnovers. Mm -hmm. You know, sack doesn't create an interception, but pressures most certainly do when guys are rushing or they're not throwing the way they want to throw. So it's kind of one of those hidden stats that brings a lot of value that a lot of players maybe don't think of, uh, players think about it, but a lot of the fans that look at them, they're like, well, okay, they didn't get the sack. They made the sacks this year. That's not actually as important as how many times you're harassing that quarterback sure. and making him get the ball out faster than he wanted to get it out. You know what? Getting in the minds of the quarterback, what did we like to hit? Quarterback can see outside and see outside pressure. They can feel the backside pressure and stepping up. What a quarterback don't like, you could ask any great quarterback this year, they don't like the pressure right up the middle, right in their face. And, you know, I was, and if you can't bring it up the face, if you can't bring the blitz or something up the face of a quarterback and it's sitting back there, now Patrick Mahomes, you got to be very careful because he can, he can read very good. He read very well. Brock Purdy haven't had that. So I'm thinking Kansas City might bring that pressure, you know, put Chris Jones and leave him inside to go one-on-one. But Chris Jones is going to go against the weakest link that they think that they can win. They want to get him with the one-on-one matchup where he, they feel like he can he can actually uh, uh, win and, and apply that pressure. Yeah, that's that's an important point because you're right. The one thing that hasn't changed, even with the speed and all the stuff that's coming in, is the fact that pressure up the middle disrupts quarterbacks, every quarterback, even the greatest quarterback, because you're cutting off their angles of being able to see. And so that that pressure up the middle is kind of, is kind of everything. And, and I think when we look at the, what we now call pass rushers, right, they're looking at outside backers, they're looking at ends, and they're thinking that's how you bring pressure. But it's still oftentimes the, the big guys in the middle or at least the pressure in the middle that's going to be the most disruptive. It is. It is. That, especially on, you know, especially on early downs in this football game because, uh, you know, I think Frisco might be the litters, you know, that they haven't – they've struggled with that a lot this year than the Chiefs did, you know, um, in the inside. And I think that, you know, I, I really believe that the Chiefs is going to try to try to get at the running stuff probably like right up the middle because they're going to give they're going to throw they're going to throw a little a, a book at him early in the game to see where Frisco is at and play a little double half to him but um you know this chief this chief um uh, really offensively haven't been the same as far as when they won those other super bowls right. where they've been explosive down the field stuff but what but if you look at the whole round ball picture of of one thing is that you know, they they have an advantage that they they went on a road, they won, they went on a road and won again, and now they're here, and then now they're the underdog. So we give them something like, okay, these people still now respecting us, and they've been a great tournament team. They always have. Right. Yeah, we're talking with Neil Smith, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos, and we're talking a lot about the mental aspects of football. You know, how you how you get guys in the right headspace, how you disrupt it. The, the mental part of the game often gets o- overlooked, and especially when people are looking at after the game and, and wellness, that's a big part of the equation for players as well. And uh, mind body oh, so mind body oh.com mind body optimization is something that you've been paying a lot of attention to money by i'm telling you mind body optimization is 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 now we having a platform where we can sit out here today and seeking people that have mental health um and then come to get involved and don't be ashamed of getting off the couch and most men i'm speaking into and and not women too but yet you know, when you, you, you listen to these sports radios, it's most most of guys between the age of 40 and 50, 60 years old that that that's having problems and no people are having problems or you even having family problems to, to get involved with mind body organization. And if you go on our website, you know, we, we, we're coming to your town soon. I know this is a new prop where we're getting up, but we bring awareness to all the men and aspects of 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 of, of the life into the, the into the families and we want to seek help um 10 years ago i was talking about you know um, on this radio role you know when we had low t center and look how big the low t center has been helping and gotten big and helping the people all around the world but now there's a new company and we really seeking the help to um to help the family and you're absolutely right the the, the challenge especially is for women and for men but men in general seem to have a tougher yeah. time 
asking for help and, and, and saying, I need help. And that it feels like it's weakness. It's not weakness. It's strength. When no, you're it not, is strength. When, when, you, when you're working out and you're not right, you ask someone to help spot you. When you I mean, that's it's the same thing. You got to look at it. Mental health is health. Men need to ask for help. And this is a terrific way to do it. So mindbodyo.com. You can also call them at 682-837-TALK. That's 682-837-8255. Go check them out. If you're feeling down, if you had, you can get better. But the first step is to ask for help. And remember, by the way, you can ask your friends if they're doing okay, too, because sometimes that's also the thing that we let uh, slide a little too often. So, Neil Smith, a treat to talk with you about not, uh, not only mindbodyo.com, but the, the challenges and the experiences of playing at this level and how exactly it works. And it will impact this game as well. A treat to talk to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank right, you, Neil sir. Smith Have joins us live from Radio World. We will be back next with more on My Life Sports. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I've been thinking, I want you to be happier, I want you to be happier. When the morning comes, and we see what we've become, in the cold light of day... Sandy Clough and Chantro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar, in uh, separate venues this week. Sean on Radio Row, and we'll hear more from Sean a little bit later on in the program as he visits with old friend Solomon Wilcots, the outstanding defensive back from uh, years past at the University of Colorado, who went on to a career as a uh, an analyst, sideline reporter at CBS. He's now with Sirius XM Radio, and he will be joining Sean here in about 15, 20 minutes. We'll talk about the Avalanche, who are back in action. Even as we speak, the Avalanche are skating in Carolina against the Hurricanes, trying to win for the first time on this six-game road trip. They dropped games on uh, both sides of the Hudson River earlier this week, Monday night at Madison Square Garden, 2-1 to the Rangers in overtime, and then 5-3 to the Devils in Newark, New Jersey on Tuesday night. They were off last night, of course, and played tonight, third game in four nights in Carolina. Uh, Georgiev back between the pipes for Colorado, and uh, the Avs looking to recapture something that at least during the first two games of this trip, they were not able to find. And that was their form immediately leading up to the All-Star break when they were playing some of their best hockey of the season. However, the Avalanche got some help last night from the Toronto Maple Leafs, who edged Dallas 5-4, to four. yes, in regulation, which was very helpful. 5-4 in overtime, Dallas would be in first place today. But it was a 5-4 regulation loss. So 
at this point, both Dallas and the Avs have played 51 games. Now, the Winnipeg Jets have three games in hand on Dallas and the Avs and are three points behind in what shapes up as the best race for first, second, and third in all of the National Hockey League, going from division to division. In the Pacific, you have Vancouver leading Vegas by seven points. Edmonton lost its 16-game winning streak the other night, and the Oilers are 14 points behind Vancouver at the moment. Far and away, the Vancouver Canucks have been the best team in the National Hockey League this year. And, of course, in the East, in the Metro Division, the Rangers have a six-point lead over second-place Carolina, and Boston has a five-point lead over second-place Florida in the Atlantic Division. Uh, So the Avs are back in first place again. They didn't even have to play a game last night to uh, vault back into first place. Now, in terms of point percentage, uh, Winnipeg is in first place in the Central Division, followed by uh, the Avs and Dallas, who are uh, virtually tied at the moment atop the division. The Avalanche have more wins, 32-31 to for Dallas. And so the Avs, uh, technically speaking, are in first place place, even with those two losses earlier on this road trip. Now, they have uh, uh, games left on uh, the trip, uh, four of them as a matter of fact, and uh, the Az would uh, very much like to uh, pick things up and need to pick things up. They'll have the Florida Panthers on Saturday in Sunrise, And then they'll get, three nights later, the Washington Capitals. And they'll wrap up the trip. Now, I don't understand this, Danny. Greater minds than mine perhaps can explain it. You're on a six-game road trip, right? You play the Rangers and Devils back-to-back. Then you go to Carolina. Fine. Then you go to Florida. Why are you going from sunrise to Washington, D.C., and then back to Tampa. Do you understand that? That seems a little out of order to me, too. That's kind of out of sequence, you would think. Yeah. You're in Florida, then you go to Washington, D.C., and then you go back to Florida. Again, why not play Florida and Tampa Bay back-to-back, either preceded by Washington or followed by Washington? Yeah, it doesn't matter well, so Washington much where the Washington the game is, I, I, but playing the two Florida teams with a different Florida team teams, in between, that's crazy. They play at sunrise on the 10th, in Washington on the 13th, and then at Tampa on the 15th. And then the schedule gets uh, a little more sane. Uh, they come back home on the 18th against Arizona. Uh, Vancouver comes to town. That'll be a very big game to watch on the 20th then a trip to Detroit on the 22nd and back home for the Toronto Maple Leafs on the 24th. So uh, the Avs coming out of the All-Star break in the midst of a stretch of 10 games in which they play 7 of the 10 on the road. So uh, that's what's going on there. Uh, Colorado football made some news overnight. The uh, long-anticipated hiring of a defensive coordinator presumably with an NFL background, 
The long-awaited announcement was made late last night and confirmed that Colorado has hired Rob Livingston off the coaching staff of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, Ian Rappaport of NFL.com was the first to report that Robert Livingston, who has been a secondary coach for the past eight years of the Cincinnati Bengals, would be coming to Boulder. He was in town yesterday, and the Buffs were expected uh, earlier in the day to hire him. It became official last night. Livingston, of course, replaces Charles Kelly, who left CU in December to take a position with Auburn as alma mater. I believe that's his second stint as Auburn's defensive coordinator. Uh, He was at Alabama for a time. Um, Known last year, most especially for his ranting and raving and racing up and down the sidelines in a rage every time that CU had 12 men on the field, which happened a lot, especially later on in the season. Didn't seem to happen early on. Another oddity. The Buffs seemed reasonably well-coached and well-organized defensively, although certainly not a defensive juggernaut at any point. And what was the game? Was it the Stanford game that it seemed like several times they were caught with 12 men on the field? And Deion Sanders didn't have a lot to say about it after the game, kind of sort of took some ownership of it. But right around that time, there was a change made on the offensive side at coordinator, right? Pat Shermer was elevated to a position of co-offensive coordinator. He'd be operating from the press box. Sean Lewis would remain on the field, but Shermer would be calling the plays. And it seems strange because the Buffs were scoring at a fairly impressive rate at that point. They were giving up points and seem more vulnerable on the defensive side, but there's no suggested change on the defensive side when it came to the coordinator position. They changed the offensive coordinator and became much less productive with Pat Shermer than they had been with Sean Lewis. However, that was not the point of the change. The point of the change was that Sean Lewis committed what is apparently an unpardonable sin up in Boulder. He tried to coach Shadour Sanders, and Shadour Sanders did not want to be coached. Shadour Sanders is a very talented player. I think he has an excellent chance to be a first-round pick in the 2025 draft. I don't know that he will be the number one overall pick, as his father surmised uh, earlier in the week, uh, or at least recently, uh, with the idea that Shadour would go number one overall and Travis Hunter would go number two overall. I think that's a little ambitious. I think both can be first-round picks. That's entirely possible. But uh, Shadour clearly did not want to be coached 
at least in the manner that he was being coached by Sean Lewis. And Pat Shermer was perfectly happy to sit up in the press box and call plays and keep at least a physical distance from the action on the field and not really do much other than call plays that Shador Sanders liked to run. Um, The downturn in offensive production was fairly noticeable, and I guess it shouldn't have come as a great surprise that Pat Shermer, after Sean Lewis left to become the head coach at San Diego State, was named as the full-time offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer would ties to Mike Zimmer, who is a close confidant of Deion Sanders. And Mike Zimmer also had a lot to say about the hiring, apparently, of Robert Livingston. There is a connection there between uh, the two. Mike Zimmer was uh, the coordinator, was he not? For years in Cincinnati, where he came the head coach. So uh, Livingston goes back a lot of years, not just the eight years he's secondary coach. I think there were four years before that, that he was with the organization. So anyway, Mike Zimmer and Robert Livingston uh, know one another. I don't know if it's a teacher-pupil relationship exactly, but there is that uh, connection. And uh, Livingston will be taking over as the defensive coordinator. Now, I must confess, and I'm not proud of this, that I'm sure... I have seen Robert Livingston play football because from 2007 through 2009, he was a safety at William and Mary. And my parents had season tickets to William and Mary football games. And I'd go down to Williamsburg, Virginia every fall during the Broncos bye week and catch at least one, sometimes two William and Mary home games. And I'll bet I saw at least five William and Mary games between 2007 and 2009 in which presumably Robert Livingston played, but he was a safety and unless in one of those games, I'm forgetting a two or three interception day or a day where he had 10 to 15 tackles. I don't remember Robert Livingston and had never heard of him before he was named as the Colorado defensive coordinator last night. Now that's neither here nor there, but it it wasn't, am I being fair? Danny Bailey is my barometer on this. If I'm being unfair in saying this, but it wasn't this supposed to be kind of a splashy hire. You are getting an NFL defensive coach, maybe not a coordinator, but you are getting someone who had for years been working his way up the ladder. And, you know, somebody like a Christian Parker, who's here, who's been a secondary coach for a few years, but he's a young guy. Is he still in his 20s, Christian Parker? I think he's 28 or 29, if I'm not mistaken. But that... That was the kind of hire I kind of sort of expected. Now, uh, Christian Parker interviewed for a couple of coordinator jobs in the NFL, I believe at Green Bay in New England. He didn't get either job. So I am assuming he will now stay for at least one more year as the secondary coach of the Denver Broncos. But it was somebody like that whose work 
you would assume Deion Sanders would have noticed that I a name we'd recognize, but um, Christian Parker's actually uh, with the Eagles now. He's with the he Eagles. He joined back up with Vic Fangio. All right. Uh, but obviously Vic is the coordinator. Uh, so I, I secondary coach, right? Still secondary coach. Correct. But he yeah. hooks back up with Fangio, and Fangio won't be there for long. It wouldn't surprise me that in a year or two, Christian Parker is promoted to the position of defensive coordinator when Vic Fangio retires. I, I, I'm just guessing I on that. I surprised at all. I think it might go that way. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles enjoyed an unusual distinction. I don't know if enjoy is the right word. They fired two defensive coordinators in one year. In one month, really. They fired That's the rare. guy they had demoted, and they fired Matt Patricia, whom they had promoted. And Matt Patricia was like the, I don't know, Pat Shermer of the Philadelphia Eagles, except he was on the defensive side. He was kind of a consultant who was obviously consulted a lot and became the de facto defensive coordinator, the defensive signal caller. And they got worse. Just like the Buffs got worse offensively after Shermer took over from Lewis. So they fired both Patricia's predecessor this year and Patricia himself at the end of the year. And I brought back Uncle Vic, uh, who brings with him Christian Parker. Um, I, uh, I know Vance Joseph has much to say in terms of uh, his effusive expressions regarding Christian Park. No, he likes him. Um, little surprise that the Broncos let him make the lateral move. Because as I understand, unless his contract was up, you know, the Broncos didn't have to give the Eagles permission for a lateral move. He's not being promoted. But in any case, Rob Livingston is the new defensive coordinator at the University of uh, Colorado, and uh, they have made uh, some other hirings. Uh, Sanders brought in uh, a few folks from Jackson State. Um, Charles Kelly obviously had been at uh, Alabama. I thought a year ago at this time the staff was exceptional and might have even been stronger than the staff that Sean Payton put together with the Broncos. I'm not sure it exactly played out that way, and I was probably uh, premature in making that uh, judgment and probably overrated the CU staff a little bit and perhaps slightly underrated uh, the Bronco coaching staff that Sean Payton put together. But uh, there have been changes on uh, both staffs. Uh, But uh, Vance Joseph, boy, in September, particularly after the week three shellacking they took down in Miami. How much would you have been willing to bet on Vance Joseph being around in February of 2024 and Charles Kelly being gone? Right. I I don't Uh, think I could have made that bet much. And I, I, you know what? 
I, I and it's certainly to Peyton's credit that he didn't do what I suppose a few other coaches might have done, maybe more than just a few. And after that 70-point game in Miami, I think a lot of coaches would have felt forced to make a move, make a change at the defensive coordinator spot. And maybe promote a Christian Parker. Make him at least interim defensive coordinator, see how the defense did. Well, they held on to Vance Joseph. The team got better. Uh, helped that Justin Simmons returned to the lineup, and even a little bit that Baron Browning returned to the lineup a few weeks later. But Simmons came back first, and immediately uh, the defense looked better. But I think you have to give Vance Joseph himself a great deal of credit. Because the last time I checked, Patrick Sutan played in that game down in Miami, in which they gave up 70 points. That's why I was talking about Latarius Sneed and the kind of exalted terms that we were uh, roughly an hour ago here uh, on the program, because Sneed is a playmaker. Now, Sneed gets beat, and maybe Sneed gets beat a little more often than Patrick Sutan gets beat. And maybe Patrick Sertan's a better technician than Snead is. But Snead makes plays. And to me, if you're a cornerback in the present-day National Football League, you have to make plays. All right. We will return to Radio Row in Las Vegas next as Sean Rotar visits with old friend Solomon Wilcox on Mile High Sports Radio. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to Radio Row, Super Bowl 58, Las Vegas. Delighted to be joined by our next guest for multiple reasons, of course. Uh, longtime football analyst Solomon Wilcotts, of course, hosted Sirius XM, the uh, opening drive. You can follow him on social at Solomon's Wisdom and delighted to talk to someone who's also a former Colorado Buffalo. Go Buffs, baby. Go Buffs. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Greatly appreciate uh, it. Uh, very nice to talk to you. Obviously, this is a, a, a fun, it's always such a great week in, in Super Bowl week, but then mm-hmm. in Vegas, you know, someplace where we've never been able to have this yeah. event before, you know, a couple decades ago would have been unfathomable and we'll get into to things that you <laughs> couldn't do before, but now you can do uh, soon enough. But when you yeah. look at this particular matchup and yeah. the way these, these are rematch of two teams from four years ago, yeah. but even four years ago, those two teams, both of them, looks very different. It feels like the consistent parts, at least with the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, yeah. but then maybe overlooked until now. Chris Jones, Nick Bolton, yeah. Darius Sneed, the defensive backfield of the Chiefs, three different yeah. levels of defense that has really stepped up in this postseason. How do you see this game breaking down? Look, I, I see um, both quarterbacks being very, very good, well above average. Obviously, we know uh, the greatness of, of Patrick Mahomes, but uh, don't sleep on Brock Purdy. Don't go thinking about some draft grade or thinking of him as Mr. Irrelevant. This guy's playing at a very high level. He's completing uh, passes, what, 9.6 yards per pass attempt. Right. It's the highest yards per pass attempt 
since Kurt Warner, right, and the greatest show on turf. Remember those Rams teams? And they didn't call Kurt Warner a game manager. That's exactly right. <laughs> and that's why I like to bring that up because people need to know just how good he is. And, and I think it's going to be played there. I think we're going to get a high-scoring game. Um, I do give the Chiefs the edge simply because if you put, you know, Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes on the same team, they, they tend to win, what, 80% of their games since he's become their starting quarterback. Yeah, it's, it's, it's stunning. And you think about it, even at his young age, Patrick Mahomes, 28 years old, 14 playoff wins. That's as many as John Elway had. He's one his behind Joe Montana. That's right. I mean, That's th- right. these are unconscionable numbers for a That's guy right. at this point in his career. But you talk, you talk about quarterbacks. We talked about a little bit about the Buffaloes. Let's turn our attention to Boulder real quick, where uh-huh. uh, Deion Sanders will be back for his second year. Yep. Colorado's may have, may have uh, finished poorly, but started strong and became relevant once again. Yeah. And that's been the challenge, is getting the Buffaloes back to relevant. Now they're relevant, switching conferences, and of course they have a young quarterback of their own that will be returning in Shadur Sanders. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even as much as a top-five pick when you look at the, the draft board for next year, which yeah. doesn't appear to be as deep in the quarterback situation when you look at the buffs this year the way they started the way they finished yeah were you confident that they're moving in the right direction and how quickly can they get to be a team that was regularly in bowls again i, I am i feel really really confident because the energy um that he's brought back to the program people want to be part of this program you know what he did is he put a lot of eyeballs on what is a beautiful campus a beautiful lifestyle with a great culture and a football program uh, that allows you to uh, showcase your talent and a program that if you play well, you can go anywhere and play, right? The NFL will come calling. And that's what athletes want. They want the opportunity to play at the second level. If you're a student athlete, you want to get an education that's good enough that could take you anywhere and change the course of your life. That's what the program offers. And now that we've got some alignment, right, to block for these talented skilled players, I think we're going to be able to win more games than we did last year. You look at someone like Travis Hunter. You played defensive back. Hunter plays defensive back mm-hmm. and wide receiver. Yeah. Arguably elite at both. That first game against TCU, yeah, played 132 snaps, and the field temperature was over 100 degrees. Can you fathom what I mean? You know, yeah. you, you've been in that in that arena. Mm-hmm. That sort of accomplishment, and he played these high number of snaps all year long. Yeah. I mean, except you know for the injury time when he backs up, but he comes back from a lacerated liver, still finishes strong. Wow, this is a special guy in Hunter, the, the kind of player you don't see him around very often. And he's instinctive at both positions. Like as a defensive back, the plays that he made was spectacular. Remember that game against TCU, first game of the year down near the goal line inside the red I zone? You contort your body in a way that I most was like, can't I do. was like, I know a lot of guys who can't make that play, right? right? And, and he's able to do it. Then at the wide receiver position, so productive, so explosive. He'll have his choice. And I think the NFL, normally the, this is the way the league works. They tell you where you're going to play. And you say, thank you. (laughs) Right. Right. I think they'll literally say, where do you want to play? Because equally, I think he plays both. But they're only going to let him play one. Right. Because this is a highly expert, um, you know, in terms of specific skill set league that you only can get better doing it 100% of the time, not 50% of the time. So they're going to. They're going to want him to play only one position. Today's in the day is NFL. Which position is more important? If you were coaching a Travis Hunter, would you tell him to stick at defensive back, or would you want him at wide receiver? That's a very good question. And here's why. Here's how I'll answer it. Because I can give you my answer quick, and Doc will be happy because we've got to get to him yes, in a minute. We will, absolutely. Uh, but the real way to answer that question, so that everybody understands 
uh, why it's important. It's about scarcity and labor. It's about the thing that's hardest to do and how many people can you find to do it. We can find a lot of people to play wide receiver. We can find a lot of people to play wide receiver well. You cannot find a lot of people that can play cornerback in the NFL at a very high level. And that's why they pay very well. Now, think about it. if he plays wide receiver at a high level, you know, Tyree Hill's getting 30 mil. We got guys who are getting 28 to 25. I think the top uh, value at corner is 20 mil. But he'll, if he plays defensive back and plays well, he'll hit that number. It's more guaranteed that he'll hit that number than if he plays wide receiver. So I would advocate for him to play the defensive back position. Be interesting to see how it shakes out. Of course, you mentioned uh, you do have company today, and uh, Dr. Uh, Scott Sigmund is with us, uh, orthopedic mm-hmm. surgeon. Uh, you're talking about a bear implant, which is an interesting. We know ACL injuries are uh, epidemic, obviously, in the nature of sports. That's just one of those ligaments in your body that's not necessarily designed to absorb what we do to them as athletes. And what are you working on, doctor, that, that changes the trajectory of the way that these recoveries can occur? Hey, Sean, so, so what if we could develop a way in which your body could heal its own ACL, right? Standard ACL surgery, we take out your patellar tendon with a piece of bone on either side, or maybe use your hamstring. We're taking something that God gave you and pushing it into a different place. We're pretty good at it. We do okay. The results can allow most of our athletes to get back to their pre-injury level. But with the bare implant in particular, what we're doing is we're suturing the ACL where it's torn. We're keeping all of those fibers in place. We then take a collagen implant with your own blood, put it over top of what we just repaired, and your body can then restore and remake an ACL with your own tissue. Really tremendous innovation in ACL surgery. I want to make sure that our listeners understand this is FDA approved. This is not experimental. Uh, and the results have really been quite remarkable for most of the surgeons that are doing a fair number of these. It sounds like the kind of thing that would have a, a longer term value. What does that do for a recovery time? So great question again. So you can imagine if they take a saw to your kneecap, it's going to hurt, make it difficult. Yeah, been there, done that. It wasn't great. All right. So we don't do that anymore. (laughs) We leave all that stuff behind you. And all we're doing is drilling these tiny little holes. And then we put this new ACL uh, implant in. So the patients have far less pain. They start at a level of recovery that's much higher than they would be if they were. The other thing that's really interesting is there's an increased risk of arthritis with patients that have ACL injuries. In the earliest uh, part of our studies at this point, there's clinical evidence that shows we might be able to reduce the incidence of arthritis with ACL surgery using the bare implant. Uh, where can you find more about, about the, the procedure? Bearimplant.com slash Super Bowl. That's bearimplant.com slash Super Bowl. Find a doctor in your local area that's doing this at this time as well. Dr. Scott Gilman explaining that. Solomon Wilcox, thank you for joining us for the Buffs Bowl next year. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah, it. there's no doubt about like it. it. Go Buffs, baby. All right. So we'll <laughs> Dr. Gilman, thank you so much. All right. That was uh, Sean Rotar with the good doctor and also uh, Solomon Wilcox, of course, prior to that from Radio Row in Las Vegas, site of Super Bowl 58, about which we will talk in greater detail. We'll break down the matchups tomorrow. Uh, Sean will join us once again at the beginning of the program, and we'll have a ton of guests tomorrow uh, as we wrap up our uh, Super Bowl coverage for the week from Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I have trouble believing this. Do we, do we know, Danny Bailey, if there is anyone playing goaltender for either the Avalanche or the Panth- or the Hurricanes tonight in Carolina? 
Are we sure that there is someone at least standing between the pipes on either end of the ice? They right? do both have goaltenders listed on uh, on ESPN. <laughs> they apparently are playing. And they've right. been on the ice the whole time. Uh, yeah, and they've been on the ice the whole time. Um, Carolina went out to a 3 nothing lead in the first 19 and a half minutes plus of the first period. So you're thinking, it, game's over. I mean, Carolina's a, a, has some goaltending issues, but they're, they're a pretty good defensive team. And the Avalanche, who have actually started the last two games that they've eventually lost fairly well. I think they had a 10-3 shot on goal advantage the other night in New Jersey. They had a good first period. Bednar said it was their best period of the night in Madison Square Garden on Monday night against the Rangers. Well, they get down 3-0. At 1933, Zach Parise scores his first goal as a member of the Colorado Avalanche. This is 1933. Okay, 3-1. Eh, nice that they got a goal late in the period. And then just as he did the other night, just seconds later, the other night it was after McCarr scored a goal and Sam Girard, who had one goal going into this road trip all year, one. He scored within a minute of McCarr's goal the other night to tie the game 3-3. Avalanche went on to lose 5-3, but it was one of those explosive bursts that the Avalanche have managed before this year in the third period of games they've trailed. They've won eight games they've trailed going into the third period this year. So you think three ones okay. And Gerard scores just seconds later. They get two goals in the last 27 seconds of the first period. And now it's three to two. And who knows what's going on in Carolina tonight between the Hurricanes and the Avalanche. But uh, it's an exciting game on some level. Yeah, great game for those Probably not stellar goaltending. Uh, but uh, 3-2 at the end of the first period. When you're down 3 nothing with 27 seconds to go in the first period, I, I guess you'll take 3-2 uh, at the end of the first period and say, you know, we may be trailing on the scoreboard, but we're actually ahead even though we're down by a goal because they've got to be kicking themselves. I'm, the, the Avalanche early in the year, remember how many goals the Avalanche were giving up in the last minute, minute and a half of periods? They were doing it seemingly all the time earlier in the year, especially in games they lost. Well, they um, started to make amends. Yeah, that's a maybe good a trend, little bit tonight. Good that's trend a, to get on the other side that, of. Uh, Yes, and they scored two goals in less than a minute the other night in the third period in New Jersey and Newark against the Devils, and they scored two goals in 27 seconds in the first period tonight. So it's a 3-2 Carolina after one period of play. The Buffs will be tipping off against Arizona State on FS1 in a matter of minutes. If you uh, have uh, access to FS1, the Buffs are nationally televised tonight in their game against Arizona, and they will be on ESPN Saturday night at 8 p.m. against the University of Arizona in what may be as important a game as Colorado has played, at least during the regular season, in its uh, long and uh, somewhat storied basketball history. I guess it's been a long history. I don't know that it's been 
overwhelmingly successful, but uh, certainly in the Tad Boyle years, they've played their fair share of big games. I'm not sure they played a game any more important than the one they'll be playing on Saturday night. But to get to Saturday night and keep that game on the schedule as an important game, they have to win tonight against a slumping Arizona State team that's lost four in a row and six of its last seven. So uh, that's coming up in just a few moments. Uh, We want to thank uh, Sean Rotar and uh, his uh, many guests today, including Brian Jones of CBS, uh, Super Bowl Bronco hero Neil Smith, and, of course, Solomon Wilcots, our old friend uh, from the University of Colorado just a few minutes ago. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 on a football Friday. Our final football Friday of at least this season until, what, September? We don't do preseason football Fridays here at Colorado no, no. Sports. I don't believe we do. But uh, we'll, we'll come back and... What, six months? Yeah, Those roughly. Seven months uh, with uh, Football Friday again. It'll be our final Football Friday of the 23-24 uh, uh, campaign. That's tomorrow, 22 hours from now. Our thanks to Danny Bailey, as always, the outstanding executive producer here at Mile High Sports. We'll see you in 22 hours right back here on Mile High Sports. Stay with us. Teams are tall.